Today on Not Sam Wrestling, the fans are back. We've got money in the bank coverage. I've got to change a statement that I made a couple of weeks ago. And ladies and gentlemen, this is not a drill. John Cena is back. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam I'm not kidding. He's back. New t-shirt. Same music. New hat. One green wristband. One yellow wristband. I don't know what else there is to say. So have a good one. Thank you for tuning in. I'm just kidding. Welcome to episode 352 of Not Sam Wrestling. It's going to be a solo show today. Back to having a guest next week, but there's just too much to talk about. Coming out of Money in the Bank 2021. And I don't know. I mean, literally the pay-per-view just ended. The new John Cena t-shirts, I will double check. At the time that we are starting this show. Oh, they're up. Okay, they are up. I thought I was going to get the podcast started before the new John Cena merch hit WWE Shop. But we did not. The green and yellow is up a WWE Shop. Okay, but we almost did. Regardless, just after Money in the Bank 2021 ended, first pay-per-view back with fans since uh, Elimination Chamber. Since Elimination Chamber in February of 2020, we are here, the fans are back, Money in the Bank 2021. And I would say, if you look at this entire show, It is probably the best Money in the Bank pay-per-view, at least, in 10 years. Money in the Bank 2011 is on the Rushmore of pay-per-views. Money in the Bank 2011 is never going to get beat. From Daniel Bryan winning the briefcase to everything that was John Cena and CM Punk. And for the record, it's not just John Cena. I had this Money in the Bank pegged as the best Money in the Bank since 2011, before John Cena even showed up. So the fact that he showed up was icing on the cake. But, I mean, think about it. Think about where we're at. We end the main event of this pay-per-view with a result that makes sense, a cohesive ending, might not be the most satisfying thing in the world, but... We can always revisit Roman Reigns versus Edge. The point is that it was it made sense. The match was terrific, and the ending made sense. Now, the only part of it that doesn't make sense is Seth Rollins said before the match that he wants the Universal Champion next, or he said he's next in line. So maybe that will mean something else. I don't know, but if I like. Clearly, Seth will have something this Friday on SmackDown that will make sense of the fact that he is going after Edge and he is trying to ruin Edge's opportunity. The Seth Rollins-Edge seeds were being planted on SmackDown before Money in the Bank even happened. The last two weeks, we've had the, 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 the plantings of Seth Rollins and Edge being something that we're going for towards SummerSlam. So that's not a shock, right? So clearly, that made sense. And by the way, Anybody worried about Edge's neck? The kick that Seth Rollins 
landed on the side of Edge's head while the referee was down on this pay-per-view. My God, he almost kicked the thing clean off its shoulders. That was a Pat McAfee kick. That was a serious kick that knocked Edge silly, but awesome. Awesome, awesome match. Ending was great. Roman Reigns kind of interacting with the fans for the first time. And I like this version of Roman Reigns that we're seeing. This, we're now, the the fans, and don't think that Roman hasn't thought about this. Roman has thought about this, okay? Roman has thought about every single part of his character. Roman believes this character. Roman truly thinks that he is the son, S-U-N, of the WWE. Roman truly believes that he is the entity that the WWE revolves around. And you could make the argument that maybe he is. Maybe he's not so crazy. If anybody could take that claim, who but Roman? The idea that now he's kind of interacting with fans, right? Multiple times throughout the match. When when the match started and you heard, let's go, Roman, let's go, Edge. Let's go, Roman. Let's go, Edge. Roman, genius move. And by the way, there were a few genius moves in interacting with the audience that we'll talk about as the podcast goes on today. Roman, as a character, really what what, what Roman as a performer, I believe, was doing was going to the audience and trying to get the let's go Roman side to dissipate. Right, You don't want to hear a 50-50 split. Roman is a villain, and that's what he wants to portray. But how does he do that? You can't just go and ask the audience, hey, please stop cheering for me, because all it does is acknowledge that you're great. So instead, he gets mad at the audience for cheering for Edge. The character gets mad at the audience that was cheering for Edge. So what he's really doing is he's not going to convince anybody that was cheering for Edge to go on his side, but hopefully some people saying, let's go Roman, will go, oh, what a dick. What an insecure fool. He's that worried that these guys are cheering for Edge? Maybe I should start cheering for Edge. And boom, you got more people cheering for Edge. We saw for the first time in this Roman Reigns character, and if you really analyze, it's been 11 months of this Roman Reigns character slowly unpacking before our eyes. At some point, and I don't know if it'll be after WrestleMania, I don't know when it'll be, but whenever there's a nice, clean break in this character, I am going to sit down and do a full breakdown of the character study that we have been watching unfold for the last 11 months because it's been truly remarkable. And a new chapter was written tonight in the way that Roman interacted with the audience. He didn't like being booed, and he didn't like fans cheering for Edge. There was an insecurity displayed in the Roman Reigns character that we have not seen before because he hasn't been interacting with fans before. He doesn't like it. You could go a few directions with this character. This character could be the type that doesn't care if the fans are cheering, doesn't care if the fans are booing. I mean, John Cena, as a character clearly thought that he was the man in the WWE, right? But he wanted to become the man, this character, by earning what he got. And he believed that the WWE universe could 
react however they were going to react, and he was going to win them over with his work ethic eventually. Or he wouldn't, and, and that was fine too. He always said, whether he was doing an interview, whether he was cutting a promo, whether he was in character or quote-unquote out of character, because there's no such thing, he said, cheering or booing, I think it's great that the WWE Universe is allowed to express their opinion, and that's what this is all about. I would never try to control that. Roman is trying to control that. Roman doesn't like it when he gets booed. That is the flaw in Roman. That is what makes him dastardly. That's what makes him a bad guy, is that 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 little insecurity that he takes out on everybody around him. He doesn't just want to be acknowledged. He wants to be revered. You can't say revere me because you sound small when you say revere me. But when he says acknowledge me, he wants fans to revere him. The character is what I'm talking about. And that's a, that's a, that, that's a trait that we haven't seen before in that character. That's a smallness that we have not seen before in that character. So I thought that was brilliant. You have Seth coming in, interfering, match restarts. There was a moment where I was like, oh, is is Seth going to break up the hold but then still throw Edge on top of Roman so that Edge can win the title and he can face Edge? Or, you know, Roman tried to get the cover or whatever. The other referee came down. When Roman tried to get him, Edge speared him and then won two. Very, very close kick out, almost at three. Seth jumps up on the apron again. Edge is distracted for a moment. Boom, Roman beats him. So we're at this position where Edge is going to be able to ask for a rematch at some point if he so wants. And by the way, let this be a lesson. There was no reason. In hindsight, I'm glad that it happened because I enjoyed the triple threat match at WrestleMania between Daniel Bryan, Edge, and Roman Reigns. But if that was put into place, because the WWE wasn't sure how fans back at WrestleMania for the first time would react to Roman Reigns versus Edge as the main event. Let Money in the Bank prove that fans were very ready and very eager for a one-on-one Edge versus Roman Reigns match. But based on how this one went and based on how the triple threat went, I'm glad we got both, quite frankly. I'm glad WrestleMania was the triple threat because I'm glad we got the moment where Roman stacked Edge and Daniel Bryan on top of one another for the pin. That's gonna. That's one of those moments. That's an iconic moment. That's a a, a character making moment. That's a moment that when somebody goes like, "Oh, you think Edge is gonna win?" I go, "Yeah, Edge is gonna beat the guy who stacked Edge and Daniel Bryan on top of each other at WrestleMania." No. Oh, you do you think Seth Rollins might beat Roman Reigns? No. Nobody beats Roman Reigns. He stacked Edge and Daniel Bryan on top of each other. So you got that moment, and now you got this. We have the the interference with Seth, and then it, it boils down to Edge and Seth Rollins, and they end up fighting into the audience. So now you're sitting there going, I can't wait to watch SmackDown on Friday, and I am already looking forward to seeing Edge and Seth at SummerSlam. It's, it's, a, it's a similar feeling to when Randy turned on Edge the Raw after the Royal Rumble and started to build towards that Randy Orton edge match, which we were never we never really were satisfied on that rivalry, I don't think, because it, it took place in front of no fans. You know, we got the greatest wrestling match ever, which it's hard to ask for anything more than the greatest ever. But realistically, 
I think Edge versus Seth Rollins, based on the fact that the story is already starting here, based on the fact that we're already interested, and based on the fact that this is a fantasy warfare rivalry, it's going to be incredible. Incredible for SummerSlam. And then Roman Reigns gets on the mic and tells the crowd that you can acknowledge me now. And the music plays. And, and it's been long rumored that John Cena was coming back to the WWE. It's been long rumored that John Cena was coming back to face Roman Reigns at SummerSlam. And I saw there were people on the internet that were like, oh, well, maybe Roman Reigns will drop the title to Edge. That way, Edge and Seth has the championship and Roman versus John Cena doesn't. And the Universal Championship is essential to the Roman Reigns character. There's no question about who's the number one guy on SmackDown. That's the whole point. Number one, the Universal title, you could do that, sure. But all you'd be doing is having a title match in the middle of the show and still having Roman Reigns and John Cena main event. And all it would do is lessen the value of the Universal Championship. The whole point is that nobody can get that title away from Roman Reigns. The second point now is that we go in going, well, if John Cena beats Roman Reigns, not only does the Roman Reigns story take a direction we didn't expect, but he becomes the universal champion now. And who knows? Maybe over the course of weeks, they'll convince us. Because right now, I don't think John Cena has a shot in hell of beating Roman Reigns. But who knows? Over the course of the next four weeks, maybe I'll be convinced that John Cena might actually beat Roman Reigns. Maybe. I don't know. And if that's the case, how interesting are those discussions going to be? When you start talking about John Cena as the potential universal champion, I don't believe John Cena's been the universal champion. I, I, I don't think so. He could have. I don't think so, though. I'm not going to do the math in my head right now because I got too much to talk about. But John Cena coming out, the music playing, the new T-shirt, the new hat, the new wristbands, the new everything. Am I missing anything? I'm looking at WWE shop right now. The new towel. How could I forget? I won't get the wristbands or the towel or the hat. Even though I'm bald now, I can finally rock a hat maybe. But I still got that big head. But I am definitely getting a respect, earn it, never give up green John Cena t-shirt. Hell yeah. Because I want to earn it too, John. I do. Oh, I'm getting it. You're going to see me rocking Kelly Green everywhere. It's a Kelly Green summer. But John Cena comes out. He's slimmed down. He's movie star John Cena. He's Vin Diesel's brother John Cena. Suicide Squad HBO Max John Cena. Yes. The Rock went through a period of that too. I can't wait, by the way, until John Cena, because John Cena, he's on The Rock's plan. You know, The Rock leaves WWE. He slims down. He's still muscular by normal man standards, but he's not like, Big bad rock the Dwayne Johnson anymore. He slimmed down for Hollywood. Then at some point, the rock gets new people around him. And those people are like, why the hell would you slim down? You're the rock, for God's sake. You should be as big as six houses. Not as big as a house. As big as a, as, as a whole cul-de-sac. That's how big you should be, rock. I can't wait till the same Hollywood people find John Cena and go, look, John, we get it. You're an actor now. You've been in movies. You've been on shows. Now let's get you as big as a private residential street. Let's get you huge again. I'm talking about 
bulging biceps, traps, everything. Just huge to an inhuman level. I can't wait till John Cena's that big. But he comes out. He's got his movie star hair, but it's a little more John Cena-ish. It looks like he brought it in on the sides. You know, he, like it looks like he cut it a little shorter on the side so that when he wears a hat, it still looks like wrestler John Cena hair. Uh, but it's longer on the top. Uh, but just coming out in the jorts, feeling like John Cena, sounding like John Cena, having everybody in that audience. Nobody was sitting there. And this is exactly what you need to be if you're in John Cena's position. Nobody was sitting there going, boo, Cena sucks. Nobody was sitting there worried about, you know, China or whatever political or or gossip story is out there. We're in the WWE universe. We're talking about wrestling here. And John Cena, one of the greatest of all time, is back. And Roman has this look on his face, and it was really interesting because all of a sudden, it was like Roman had been walking around like he was the boss. And all of a sudden, his dad was in the ring, and everybody knows that's his dad's ring. And he had this look on his face like, ah, like he knows, like Roman knows. Cena passed the torch to Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns beat John Cena. And Cena knows, you're still not me, though. You're still not me. I'm still the head of the table here. And I can choose to take my seat whenever I damn well please. And right now is the time that I damn well please. And that's what we got at Money in the Bank. Roman Reigns wanted to be acknowledged, and John Cena just put the you can't see me. Just didn't even say a word. No microphone needed. You can't see me across his face and boom. And by the way, we're going to have a tremendous buildup between now and SummerSlam. And you know why that is? Because I believe in his heart of heart, in his soul of souls, Roman Reigns believes that he is the GOAT. Roman Reigns believes that he's the greatest of all time. People would tell you that Roman Reigns is the greatest superstar of his generation. But I believe if you asked Roman Reigns, are you the greatest star of your generation? If you had a couple of cocktails and it was late at night and he was just in truth telling mode, wasn't worried about feelings, wasn't worried about perceptions, was just in truth telling mode. I believe that Joe Anawaii would tell you, I believe that I am the greatest to ever do this. I believe that I am the greatest of all time. I believe that when my story is written, I will be the man standing here as the best to ever do it. Not the best of my generation, the best to ever do it. And that, all of a sudden, was called into question by John Cena. And yes, it was called into question in character by John Cena. But in reality, the same way that real tension existed between The Rock and John Cena and the real tension that existed between The Rock and John Cena, in my humble opinion, had nothing to do with comments that John Cena made about The Rock when The Rock left WWE. That's petty. That's childish. That's nothing. It was years ago. 
It was about The Rock thinking, John is not good enough to wear my boots. And John Cena thinking, you need to step aside, Dwayne, because this isn't your era anymore. I'm here now. And that's why The Rock's promos were far more biting than they had to be. Far more personal than they had to be. The Rock was not going by, you know, they say like, you know, the, the wrestling philosophy is that you're supposed to build up your opponent, you know, as you're, you, you talk about how you're going to beat him and everything, but you never talk about how much he sucks, right? You never, you never make your opponent seem less credible because then best case scenario, you beat somebody that's not very credible. And worst case scenario is he's destroyed for the next person. But that wrestling philosophy was not utilized in the war between The Rock and John Cena at all. The Rock went out there to disintegrate John Cena. Fruity Pebbles, he was mocking not only Cena's wrestling, not only Cena's wardrobe, but Cena's corporate sponsorships. The Rock was, was, was fucking with John Cena's money, okay? That's what The Rock was doing. And what did John Cena do? The first chance that he got, he saw writing on Dwayne's arm. And John Cena called The Rock out. He didn't call The Rock out. He called Dwayne out in front of all, everybody, in front of thousands of fans and the millions and millions watching at home. He told the world, he's got, the king, he's got no clothing. He's got no clothing. This False idol that you've all been praying to has written his promo on his arm. Who's not good enough to stand in whose boots or sneakers, as the case was? And I'm telling you right now, mark my words. Hear me, hear me loudly, hear me clearly, but most importantly, hear me truthfully. John. Cena cares too much about this. And John Cena, if you thought, and if you go back, you go on YouTube right now. There's like a, it's a, the whole promo is on YouTube where John Cena is pushing Roman's buttons and it gets uncomfortable. If you think that was uncomfortable, just wait till you see. Just wait. Because John Cena, not the wrestling character, the real-life guy, is going to show up to SmackDown on the way to SummerSlam, and he's not going to go, hey, Roman, this is super fun. Let's have a good time and have a fun match out there. No. John Cena is going to take the live microphone because he knows that only he and Roman can get away with what he and Roman can get away with. And John Cena is going to push Roman Reigns. John Cena is going to put Roman Reigns in very uncomfortable positions to watch, to see if Roman can sink or swim. John Cena is going to do everything he can to push Roman into the deepest waters that Roman has ever been in to see how well he swims. And you know what Roman is going to do? Roman is going to do everything that he can to make it clear that John Cena is not needed anymore. This is the goal of Joe Anawaii, Roman Reigns, whoever. 
The goal of that performer is to spend the next four weeks and the match at SummerSlam, not only selling out a stadium and setting record numbers for Peacock subscriptions. The goal of that man is to prove once and for all to the WWE universe, to the peers, to his peers in the locker room, to the writers, to the producers, and most importantly, to Vincent Kennedy McMahon himself, that John Cena is not necessary in order for the WWE to succeed. It's always going to be great to see John. It's always good to see a legend. But Roman Reigns wants to prove to the world and to Vince McMahon that when you have Roman Reigns, you don't need John Cena. And John Cena is not going to go quietly into the night. Even if he's not a full-time member of the active roster, John Cena does not want to live in a reality where he's not necessary. That is the struggle that we're going to witness, that we are going to see unfold on the road to SummerSlam. A SummerSlam where we've already got, theoretically, Edge versus Seth Rollins. You had Becky Lynch on Twitter posting photos or Instagram running outside the arena that Money in the Bank was 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 uh, uh, being uh, uh, presented in. You had Bleacher Report, Bleacher Report, out there saying Becky Lynch confirmed going to be in attendance. For money in the bank. Was it a red herring? Yeah, probably. Redheads always commit those red herrings. Yeah, I think it was just something to get everybody uh, psyched up. Honestly, they probably wanted everybody to talk about Becky Lynch so that nobody talked about John Cena being there. I believe that the Becky Lynch news was leaked 100% on purpose to throw people off course. That said, I believe Becky Lynch will be back Eminently, I believe that we will absolutely see a Becky Lynch match at SummerSlam. And I think there's a good possibility that Charlotte beat Rhea Ripley tonight so that we can go into SummerSlam with Charlotte versus Becky Lynch. I would say that that makes more sense to me than Becky Lynch versus Bianca Belair because uh, Bianca Belair is a hero and so is Becky Lynch. Um, but who knows? Remains to be seen. But we've theoretically got that. The rumor mills are going crazy about Goldberg coming back and the idea that we may have Bobby Lashley defending the WWE Championship against Bill Goldberg at SummerSlam. Picture, if you will, regardless of how you feel about Goldberg, because, you know, I can already hear the WWE Universe booing him out of whatever building they're in when Goldberg shows up, and that's fine. I don't mind it. But... John Cena versus Roman Reigns. Seth Rollins versus Edge. Becky Lynch versus somebody, maybe Charlotte. Bobby Lashley versus Bill Goldberg. Big E's hanging out with the Money in the Bank briefcase. <laughs> what? Come on. Come on. WWE is back. WWE is back. The fans are back, and they're taking this thing seriously. Let's get into Money in the Bank. So we started Money in the Bank. 
with uh uh and of course and I say let's get into money in the bank but yes we kind of covered the ending there but I was excited what can I tell you um we got uh, the Usos winning the tag team championship the SmackDown tag team championship on the pre-show um I I think most people probably saw that coming uh I really want Dominic to turn on Ray I don't know if he's got to kick out his leg from his leg I don't know what we've got to do, but I, I, I think, and, and, you know, maybe the worry is that Dominic can't handle himself as a solo act on that level, but it's not like he won't be working with Rey Mysterio. I understand every single match won't be with Rey Mysterio, but at least in the short term, it'll be Rey Mysterio matches. So, you know, Dominic, versus, Dominic Mysterio versus Rey Mysterio, what could be better for a father than teaming with his son? Beating the stuffing out of him. That's what. I really want it to happen. Although, I feel like they're not going to break up anytime soon. Because for some reason, instead of Buyaka Buyaka and Rey Mysterio pops up from the floor, flies up into the sky, and then lands safely like a feather onto the ground, Dominic and Rey live in space now. They live in some kind of hyper future reality and they take an interdimensional portal. I don't know if you saw this entrance. They take an interdimensional portal from their hyper future space reality into the arena, avoid landing on the fans, get right into the beginning of that aisle and boom, they're off to the races. Now, I don't know why that happened, but it makes me feel like they're building an identity which also makes me feel like they're probably not separating them. By the way, I noticed this on SmackDown, and shout-outs to SmackDown. How about 15,000 people in the audience for an episode of SmackDown? The fans are back. I do like, it looks to me like they have uh, narrowed their aisle. The WWE has made the aisle narrower, so it's almost like the fans are on top of you. It's shorter than it used to be, back in the day anyway, but it's narrower, I find, by my eye. But I think that's cool. I think that they want every shot that they can get to show you that the fans are back. I think that that's done by uh, intention. Uh, so we start, and so, yeah, so the Usos won the Tag Team Championship. So you have gotten to SmackDown now with the bloodline having all of the gold, or silver. I mean, I guess the Tag t Championship is silver, but still, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's a figure of speech, ultimately, at this point. Um, Usos with the tag title and Roman Reigns with the Universal Championship. Um, you had the uh, women's Money in the Bank ladder match. A uh, uh, couple of notes on that. Naomi. Something great about the fans being back. And, and you know, there are people who are talking about uh, the piped-in crowd noise still being there. And I think there is some piped-in crowd noise still there. And I hope that it goes away. Uh, I, 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 you know... It's not replacing real crowd noise, so it's not like you're creating your own reality, but you are augmenting reality to an extent. I think that 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 you've got to trust the people to help you make your decisions, you know? Every story of everything working in wrestling is like Austin 316, and then we showed up the next day, and we see Austin 316 signs. Oh, I do Mr. Sacco, and... Uh, I show up the next day and people have painted sock puppets out of their socks, their sweat socks on their hands. Oh, we knew Hulkamania was the thing because of all the red and yellow T-shirts we were selling. We go to the arenas, there's all the red and yellow T-shirts. You know, uh, every story 
is that way. And, you know, if you hand everybody a red and yellow T-shirt, you don't have the same wave of momentum as if they bought them. And you can't fake that. You can't. Because it's a feeling that drives people to buying the shirts. It's not just the fact that the shirts are there. So, you know, while I think that, like, if somebody gets booed, like when Roman Reigns won the Royal Rumble and he got booed in Philly, people were like, oh, well, that's just Philly. Yeah, but people watching it didn't think to themselves, oh, that's Philly. They heard a crowd booing him severely, and they said, okay, we're going to go with that. And they started booing him in all the arenas. That said, if you had piped cheers in, you wouldn't have motivated the people to cheer. The reason that they booed right along with Philly was because there was something inside them. Whether they were going to boo Roman or not, there was something inside them that agreed with what Philly was doing. They found the boos to be truthful. And that's why they joined along. If you hear a reaction for somebody, and in your heart, you don't find it to be truthful, you will not follow that reaction. Wrestling fans are not stupid. There are some stupid wrestling fans, but there are some stupid people in all groups. I've met stupid Smash Mouth fans, believe it or not. Not all of them, but there are some. So, yeah, I mean, there are some stupid wrestling fans, but those aren't the ones that you cater to. Most of them are very, very smart. For instance, yours truly, the last professional broadcaster. I'm the biggest wrestling fan I know. I'm also the smartest guy that I know. So I would say there's a correlation there. There are some really stupid wrestling fans, but they're not that big wrestling fans. You see the correlation? The bigger a wrestling fan you are, the smarter you are, I think. Vince McMahon cut the promo during the Attitude Era. Shades of Grey. Good guys and bad guys. Quite frankly, we're not going to insult your intelligence anymore. And insulting your intelligence is believing that through sound cues or whatever else is going to happen, that, that you can dictate the way an audience responds to something, and that's just not the case. People know, people know eventually when they're being led to something that they don't believe. And, and you know, I, to me, that's what piped-in crowd noise is. Um, and I think you end up getting some magical moments when you just pay attention to what's organic. And there were so many organic moments with that crowd at Money in the Bank. If anything, I think Money in the Bank proved that there is no need. Talk about unnecessary, that there is no need for piped-in crowd noise because of what we got from the crowd as the show went on. And I think that that's going to continue. I think the relationship with the audience and WWE is going to continue to evolve as crowds continue to come back and WWE continues to put on shows for those crowds. I think that you've got to hit TV to a place where it's matching the quality of the pay-per-views. Money in the Bank pay-per-view is incredible. WWE does great pay-per-views. You got to do great TV as well to, to highlight those. And, and you know, uh, most episodes of SmackDown are great. NXT has been great lately. But it, it's got to be consistent. I bring all that up to say the response that Naomi specifically got, you know, Zelina Vega got a pretty good pop herself, but the response that Naomi got, not only for her entrance, but every single time she delivered offense in the ring, told you everything you need to know. Said, oh, look at what's been right under our noses the whole time. 
that people still want Naomi to succeed. People still love Naomi. I mean, she was a rock star every step that she took in that match. That's the benefit of being back in front of fans. That we can act like, oh, you know, Naomi had her time. She's a good hand, but whatever. As long as there's no fans, yeah, if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. But once the fans are back, they'll tell you. No, 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 no. We love Naomi. And that's what we got in that match. Um, The Alexa Bliss stuff, it was interesting, you know, and it's not surprising. Not all the Alexa Bliss stuff. Alexa didn't get booed, I don't think. But fans were not feeling everything. Like, I don't, I don't know that fans really like the Zelina Vega hypnotism spot. I'll tell you, you know what was great? What was great was Alexa trying to summon the briefcase down to her and then Asuka giving her that suplex and dropping her on her head. Because it's one of those th things where Asuka represents us fans that are sitting there going like, what? This doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't Asuka come in and just kick her head? Oh, here comes Asuka. Boom. I love stuff like that. You know, you don't have to come. You don't have to do it every single time. Because then it's like, you know, Alexa Bliss is kind of a joke. And I don't believe that she should be a joke. She's really great, Alexa Bliss. But I think that there, there does need to be moments of that where not everybody on the, on the roster, like you can't have another Shayna Baszler runs away from a doll segment. Not everybody on the roster is like afraid of Alexa Bliss and her witchcraft. You know? Otherwise, I've seen Fear Street 1666. If they think that Alexa Bliss is really witchcraftery, they're going to gang up on her, and it's not going to be good. And the whole town's going to be cursed because of it. Nikki Ash, of course, walking away with the briefcase. Almost a superhero, Nikki Ash. Um, you know, I thought that was cool. Obviously, they were in the uh, fields of, of, of having some heroes with briefcases, having some good guys with briefcases. And there's always two ways you can go. Look, the only thing I'll say about that is I like, and I said this uh, on the Thursday podcast, every Thursday we do a Patreon-exclusive podcast. Of course, if you go to patreon.com slash notsamwrestling, you'll be able to get the show early and ad-free. As soon as I'm done recording, it goes up on the Patreon site. You can also watch the show as I record it live. We do Q&As after every show. We did a Zoom uh, before Money in the Bank, before every pay-per-view that I'm not doing kickoff shows for, which are a lot these days on the main roster. Uh, we do uh, Zooms. And we get on with some of the upper tier uh, Patreon members and we just kind of talk about everything going on on the pay-per-view. It's a lot of fun. Some of my favorite stuff to do. Um, but on the Thursday podcast that we do straight for Patreon, I talked about the importance of the Money in the Bank briefcase and, and how that needs to come back into play and how the importance of it needs to uh, be cemented. You know, last year, Asuka won the Money in the Bank briefcase, and the next night she's given the Women's Championship. This I'm, uh, is not something that perturbed me. It's Becky Lynch had to go home and become a mama. Made perfect sense to me. Why do a tournament and all this stuff? Asuka wins the championship. I was totally fine with it. What I wasn't fine with was Otis losing the briefcase to the Miz. Somehow Otis being on this, like, roll, and then it just comes to a screeching halt. And the Miz ends up with the briefcase somehow. I hate when the briefcase gets switched. And I hate when briefcase holders don't win the championship. We have to feel like when somebody wins that money in the bank briefcase, they're going to become the champion. And you cannot tell me that you feel that way. Because you can't even give. They gave the percentage. It's like 80% of cash-ins 
have been successful. Number one, that skews to the first, to the beginning, the first year, several years of money in the bank. The percentage was a lot higher. And more recently, you know, in the Baron Corbin years and the Damian Sandow years, that's where it goes down. But that statistic is still misleading because it's not winners of the money in the bank ladder match. It's holders of the briefcase. There have been a few times where the briefcase has switched hands, you know. So think about last year. So for me, I need to feel like the person who wins that briefcase is going to be the champion. That's the magic of it. In 2011, when Daniel Bryan won that briefcase, it was like Daniel Bryan was not going to be the champion of the world. There's no way he's going to be world champion. But he got that briefcase, and you're like, I don't see how they're going to get themselves out of it. And they, you know how they got themselves out of it? Daniel Bryan won the world championship. When CM Punk won the briefcase the first time, it was like CM Punk is never going to be world champion in WWE. People forget that's the energy that CM Punk was on. Even if you were a fan of CM Punk, you were like, he's not going to be champion here. It's just they're never going to let it happen. It wasn't a CM Punk thing. It was just they're never going to let it happen. And then he cashed in and he won the title. And moments like Daniel Bryan and CM Punk, and you could, you could think of others. Rob Van Dam beating John Cena at ECW One Night Stand. Those moments are when you go, oh my God, if so-and-so wins the Money in the Bank briefcase, like when Damian Sandow had the Money in the Bank briefcase, like it was like, oh my God, Damian Sandow is going to be the champion. That's crazy. But then he just didn't win. And it was like, oh, oh, I didn't know you were going to do that. So I think it's really important that somewhere along the line, they figure out a scenario where Nikki Ash proves the world wrong and either on Raw or SmackDown, briefcase works on both, becomes the women's champion. Nikki Ash absolutely must become the women's champion. And I think it's going to be great when it happens. You know, I think so far the Nikki Ash experiment is, uh, feels successful. Feels like it was clicking with the audience. Uh, it feels like the audience gets it. It's really, really, really smart on Nikki's part that she got in front of this and went out on the internet and showed the world that this was her idea. This is something she's been working on for a long time. This is something she wanted to do because now it feels a little bit more authentic. It doesn't just feel like a weird, goofy corporate idea. You know, it feels like there's, there's a realness to it, which is essential, especially to a character like this. Um, so yeah, that was my takeaway on that. She must become the women's champion. I'll be glad when she does. Uh, you had almost an AJ. They retained the tag team championship against the Viking Raiders. Um, yeah, you know, this was what it was. Uh, I would say the highlight was almost his offense. I think almost might have sold a little bit too much in this match. You know, I don't think almost does well when he's being damaged, but I think he is a specimen when, when he's unleashing offense. The Gorilla Press Slam that he dropped. I don't remember if it was Eric or Ivar. I think it was Eric. But getting one of those Viking Raiders like it was nothing. I kind of wish the commentary team had made a bigger deal out of it. Getting this 300-pound power lifter and just gorilla press slamming him down to the mat. Awesome. 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 And there were a lot of really, really cool big man moments in that match with Almost. And I think that's what Almost is all about. So it was a successful match for sure. I don't know what's next for the Viking Raiders, though. Um, Kofi got destroyed again. Kofi got destroyed by Bobby Lashley, but I think that was the story of the match. You know, Kofi was just, uh, he was doing his job, man. There will never come a time 
when there won't be love for Kofi Kingston. There will never come a time when we are not ready to see Kofi Kingston be champion again. That's the beauty of Kofi Kingston, that he could lose to Brock Lesnar in 30 seconds on the first episode of SmackDown. He could get pulverized by Bobby Lashley at Money in the Bank. Will never matter. We will always be ready for Kofi Kingston to be champion again. It's just a matter of time. The whole thing with Bobby Lashley letting MVP know that he was partying too much, he's doing too much of this, he's doing too much of that. I think this is all build up. We got to, Kofi, unfortunately, was the lamb that was led to the slaughter, but we got the demonstration of what Bobby Lashley has in store. And I think, yeah, I think Goldberg is going to be uh, the beast that this other beast battles at SummerSlam probably, and it makes sense. Um, let's talk about Charlotte and Rhea Ripley and the fans that were involved in this match. This was left to them. There was nothing. Sometimes the stories are so good that the performers are put in a situation where they can't go wrong. I felt like the story leading us to this match put the performers in a scenario where they can't go right. I mean, there was this story going in made absolutely no sense. The 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 match, the last pay-per-view match that they had ended with some like weird intentional disqualification where like Rhea Ripley is learning from Charlotte or something like that. We get to Raw and I'm sitting there going like, well, unless I get maybe Rhea's going to be under Charlotte's learning tree, but Rhea's the champion, so why would she be under Charlotte's learning tree? And we get back to Raw, and it's like, no, we're going to do a rematch. And I'm sitting there going, okay, I was confused before the last pay-per-view as to who the good guy was and who the bad guy was. Now I have no freaking idea who's who. Nothing makes sense. Why are you doing this to me? And I thought going into this thing, I was like, we're back in front of a live audience. And if I'm not getting what this story is, nobody in the audience is getting what this story is. Nobody in the audience is going to know who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. Nobody in the audience is going to know who should who they should root for and who they should boo because there's been nothing to tug on your heartstrings. There's been nothing that speaks to your soul. There's been, there's no story at all. And you could hear it, man. You got Charlotte who is the greatest women's wrestler of all time, period. And Rhea Ripley, who has the potential to be at the top of that list right alongside Charlotte, the most buzzed about female rookie since the original four horsewomen of NXT, Rhea Ripley. And they're having this match. And nobody knows what's going on. And what are they chanting? We want Becky. You heard it from the beginning of the match. We want Becky. We want Becky. Charlotte took this audience. Charlotte is a gymnast by trade, okay? Keep that in mind. She did not train all her life to become a professional wrestler. Sure, it didn't. doesn't hurt that she's got the nature boy's genetics in her blood. That's why she looks like a, she's told me in an interview. That's why she looks like a gymnast when she moonsaults. Because she's a gymnast. Charlotte took this audience in the palm of her hand, and Rhea Ripley was right there with her, and completely flipped the script. Charlotte flipping off 
the fans at the beginning of this match was an absolute genius move on Charlotte's part because it immediately told them, I'm the bad guy. I don't like any of you. I am not happy to see you. I am not happy you're having a good time. And I hope you have a terrible day. And Rhea is like, whoa, whoa, I might have an attitude about me, but I like these fans. And boom, the fans know exactly who to cheer for and exactly who to boo. Charlotte told them without telling them. Charlotte got there and might as well have had a sign on that says, I'm the heel, I'm the heel. But she did it in an organic storytelling way. She took control of the situation. And she continued throughout the match to take control of that situation. Rhea Ripley and Charlotte told an immaculate story that the crowd was not fed and the crowd was not ready for, but they got regardless. And when Charlotte hooked on that figure eight and Rhea finally started tapping, oh my God, they were eating out of her hand. You saw the looks on their faces. This has nothing to do with sweetened crowds. This is the real deal. The crowd was reacting to the finish. They had walked in going, I don't care about this match. And by the end, they cared about this match. Why? Because Rhea Ripley and especially Charlotte Flair made them care. I mean, perfect. Perfect. It should be studied. This match should be studied. Well, what do I do? Is a bad odd? No, this is what you do. You tell the story. You don't wait for the audience to tell you this. You tell the story. And if you're a good storyteller, the audience will be there with you. Perfect. Charlotte, the new women's champion. Does that mean that Becky Lynch is coming back to challenge Charlotte? Does that mean that Nikki Ash is going to try to cash in the money in the bank briefcase soon? Who knows? Who knows? So, uh, Next was the Money in the Bank, the Men's Money in the Bank briefcase. But before that, we uh, spent a while with Peacock completely spazzing out. Uh, If you're one of the people in Europe listening to this podcast or uh, uh, another country besides America, and you still get to experience the wonderment and the joy and the precious nature of the WWE Network, this is Billy Madison holding that kid's face who wanted to move on to another grade. Don't you ever say that. Stay where you are. Stay as long as you can. Enjoy the WWE Network. Enjoy all of it. Look, Peacock's great, mainly because they got the ultimate show on Peacock. I'm sitting there going on Peacock and fantasy booking once a month. I don't have a complaint in the world. I got to sit there and not only fantasy book a men's match, a women's match, and a tag team match, but I get to book the endings? Come on. I got nothing to complain about. And by the way, before we get to this thing about Peacock, I do want to make a statement that a couple of weeks ago, and I said that I am the star maker, that I deserve to be acknowledged as such. You can acknowledge me. that, And I, I laid it all out there that I show up to WWE and the minute, the minute that anybody is put next to me to get that primetime Sam Roberts rub, they are on television. Pat McAfee is introduced to the WWE. They go, 
We'll put him next to Sam on the NXT pre-shows. Sam, show him around. Show him the ropes. And what happens? Boom. Color commentator for SmackDown. Jimmy Smith. Before we got to Jimmy Smith, Mansoor. Let's try Mansoor maybe on a pre-show. Let's see if he's any good. Let's put him next to Sam. Boom. He's a Monday Night Raw superstar. I don't know. This Jimmy Smith guy, he doesn't really watch wrestling, but uh, he does his homework really well, and he's a great broadcaster. Let's put him next to Sam, see how he does on the pre-show. Boom. Play-by-play for Monday Night Raw. Andy Shepard from uh, NXT UK reached out to me, and he said, I think uh, you need to make an addendum to your statement. I said, what's that? He goes, remember the World's Collide pay-per-view? I went, oh, my God, how could I forget? When they didn't do a takeover before what it, maybe it was, I think it was Survivor Series. They didn't do a takeover before Survivor Series. And instead, they did Worlds Collide, where NXT UK came over and, and all that. Walter was on the show. Andy Shepard was a ring announcer. Andy Shepard was put next to me on the Worlds Collide pre-show. Six weeks later. He is play-by-play for NXT UK. Andy, lead play-by-play for NXT UK. How did he get that gig? Because he co-hosted Worlds Collide pre-show with me. I don't know what it is about me on pre-shows, but the minute you put somebody with me, boom. That's why I'm not going to be... How about this one? How about the fact that Matt Camp shows up as the new host of Talking Smack? Matt Camp is hosting Talking Smack. Where do you know Matt Camp from? Gee, I don't know. The Ultimate Show? With Sam Roberts? Gee, I don't know. The guy in the basement on Not Sam Wrestling? Yeah. He got the Sam Roberts dust rubbed on him, too. What's next? Ryan Popola hosts WWF Mania? It's ridiculous. I'll tell you what's next. You always know who's going to be the next person to get into a WWE commentary booth. You know how you know? Or get a high position in WWE on television. You know that because it's going to be whoever's standing next to Sam Roberts, but it ain't going to be Sam. I digress. Had a great time doing the uh, Ultimate Show, though. Definitely check that out and check out all the episodes. It's such a fun show. However, Peacock shit the bed while it was streaming this pay-per-view. And uh, in a bad way. Like everybody in the United States. We we missed all the... Thank God it was for the Money in the Bank match. So, you know, we had eight entrances that we had to stall through as things weren't working. But we missed the promo with Boogs and Matt Riddle. We missed all the men's entrances. I mean, it was bad. It was really, really bad. That stuff can't happen. This is WWE. You know, and if it were any other promotion, if it were AEW, if it were Impact, it would just be memed all over the place. It's a little tough for me to focus on because the whole Money in the Bank pay-per-view was so good, especially at the end. But it was embarrassing. It, it, was, a, it was a really bad showing on whoever's part. You know, I'm not going to say on WWE's part, maybe on Peacock's part. Whoever's part. It was bad. You know, if, you, if you're going to be in the streaming business, be in the streaming business. When you look at Sam Roberts now and all of the product that comes out of Not Sam, I stream live all the time. Every Friday night, it's Lonely Friday night in the Not Sam studio. We stream out of the Not Sam studio all the time. 
it never looks like it looked on Peacock right before that men's Money in the Bank ladder match. So all I'm saying is, I don't know if you can fit a 20 by 20 down here. But if we want to do SummerSlam in the Not Sam studio, I'll just say it right now. I can guarantee you, you won't have any streaming issues. There's never streaming issues. I got wired Ethernet. And I get the big package too. I got the big Ethernet. I don't know what Peacock's got. I have the top gigabit. I got the top internet package. So I got you. If you need a streaming spot, WWE. Although you'll probably just take whoever studio I was with on a pre-show. <clears throat> Big shocker. The men's money in the, money in the bank ladder match was fantastic. It was great. Of course it was great. Seth Rollins was being sneaky and doing what Seth Rollins does. Ricochet. Oh, talk about making the most of your TV time. Ricochet was doing stuff that isn't even possible. Like, Ricochet was doing stuff that hasn't even been invented for humans to do yet, and he's already doing it. I don't know if he had, like, rocket packs on his boots or something like that. I don't know what was going on with Ricochet, but he was on another, another, another level. And then Matt Riddle. Matt Riddle just 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 sitting there and 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 hitting people with RKOs. Matt Riddle just has this ability to portray his character, but in an instant just turn it on and be this athlete that we know he is. Like to 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 entertain us with the character, but then also portray a person who can believably beat anybody. Unheard of. It's amazing. It's amazing. Finish was great. Seeing Big E climb that ladder, a literal ladder that goes with the metaphor, seeing him pull down that briefcase. Let's tie it up. Let's dip it and die. We need a tie-dye briefcase right now. And here's where I'm thinking this is going. So happy. So happy. And, and, and I will say this with Drew McIntyre too. Oh, yeah, a couple of things before I get to Big E. Good thing I wrote notes. Drew McIntyre. I don't know, man. He's got to go through a rebuilding, I think, because the reactions for Drew, it wasn't Royal Rumble 2020 reactions. I'll just say that. And Kevin Owens, that bump that he took on the ladder was insane. But I'll say this about Kevin Owens. As fun as it is to watch him do stunners, God, I love that pop-up powerbomb. It reminded me of NXT Kevin Owens. I would love for him to bring back the pop-up powerbomb. I think the pop-up powerbomb should be Kevin Owens' finisher. It's, I love it. It's awesome. Awesome. But I think that, uh, I love the idea of Goldberg actually beating Bobby Lashley for the title. I love the idea of Big E cashing in on Goldberg. Getting to see a Big E versus Goldberg match and Big E actually wins. And then we can move on to have Big E versus Lashley. But come on. Big E prophesized this long ago. Big meaty men slapping meat. I want to see it. I want Big E to win the WWE championship by beating Goldberg. If that isn't the fantasy of every wrestling fan that's ever existed, specifically in the 90s, I don't know what is. Um, Yeah. 
And then I did want to explain too. I, I tweeted uh, the the Michael Cole is so good. And here's why I tweeted that. Because people are like, bro, he doesn't even know the difference between an STF and a crossface. And it's like, okay, look, I understand. Heat of the moment, I any of us would make the mistake. Oh, I, yeah, he hooked the toe. He didn't hook the arm, so whatever. Michael Cole has been working in WWE since 1997. 1997. He has been doing commentary for 20 years. Think about the job that you have. Think about how bored you are at the job that you have. Think about how long you've been at the job that you're at. Now think about wrestling. Think about the best times ever. Now think about the worst times ever. Michael Cole has literally seen all of it. The reason that I tweeted that was because all I heard was real emotion during that main event coming out of Michael Cole. Real emotion that was telling the story of Edge versus Roman Reigns. And that emotion is what takes us on a ride. That emotion is what puts words to what we're feeling and makes what we're feeling even stronger. That's why that stuff is so good. Because Roman Reigns and Edge are telling this story with all this emotion. And Michael Cole is somehow, after 20 years of doing this, he shouldn't be feeling a thing. Michael Cole should be so jaded and over all of this nonsense that it's all rubbish to him. That's how anyone should be. But he's not, he's not even a, he's a was in news radio before he was in WWE. But he, 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 you, could, you can't fake that stuff. He's somehow still feeling it. It's penetrating his soul and it's going out through his voice box. When he's going, Edge, Edge, he's screaming. It's amazing, dude. It's amazing what that dude does. And the fact that he gets no credit for it will never stop perplexing me. And if you only, I'm not even going to talk about his behind the scenes stuff. That's, you know, why would you know? I'm only, there's no reason. Uh, just, just his commentary. We can have a whole talk. Uh, you, you, you find me in a bar. And sit me down one-on-one -on -one to have a talk about this guy. We'll have a talk about this guy. But just on the commentary, like listen to the emotion that he was using in the commentary for the, for, for, for the Edge Roman match tonight. You can't find that. You can't fake it. You can, I mean, it's, it's, it's next level. It's absolutely next level. So there you go, man. That's money in the bank. Uh, lots of really fun stuff happening in wrestling right now. Davey Boy Smith Jr. came back. Jay White showing up at Slammiversary. Did we see that? That's going to be pretty sick if at an Impact show they do like Kenny Omega versus Jay White or something like that. Oh, Edge's reaction. I, there's so much stuff going on. Make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast. Do me a favor. Uh, leave a rating and a review on uh, Apple. Uh, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our interview uh, from last week with Lee Moriarty, the video, is up uh, on YouTube, youtube.com slash NotSamWrestling. And, of course, you can get all our stuff at patreon.com slash NotSamWrestling. We'll see you next week or earlier than that on the Patreon.
Ooh, with a really fun interview. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.